0: News Talk 1110 993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show. 704 570 1110 1 800 WBT 1110. We are discussing. So, all of this is under the category of why the media stinks, um, <laughs> why they are so bad. And why honestly, it's why people don't trust them anymore. Why, as an institution, people don't trust you? Because there are too many times, in way too many cases, where these mistakes, these lapses in judgment, they all go one direction, you know? And we used to count on media as sort of a gatekeeper, and I recognize that as you know, one who used to be a journalist. I can tell you, like, there's a gatekeeping function, and there was value in that. There are pros and cons to both sides of the coin here, right? Like, on the one hand, everybody has their own printing press now. And the pro there is that you can get a lot more information out. The downside, obviously, is that People are not trained to ask the ethical questions or to write in a particular way um, and to frame a story fairly, right? You're going to be biased, you could get rolled. There are all sorts of pitfalls when you when you have no experience when you're trying to be your own journal uh, trying to be like a citizen journalist, right That's not to say you can't do good and it's not to say that you need all the training to be good, but there are pros and cons. Just like with the gatekeeping. Right? The role the media used to play in our society was as a gatekeeper, and there were pros and cons. Pros was that everybody had sort of a unified idea of what reality was, of what the facts and the truth were all about. The downside is that we all had one unified idea and that there were other alternative explanations and stories that never got through. So, pros and cons. Let me go over here to Tim. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good afternoon, Pete. Hey, what's up?
1: Hey, uh, Katie Kurt. She's nothing but old, old news. TV eye candy. She's just trying to keep herself relevant again and get her name out there, and and uh, she was never that good in the first place. She was just, I guess, easy on the eyes.
0: Right, but, but she was. Uh, I mean, remember, she got put in. She got put in charge of Yahoo News when they launched their news division. Right. I mean, she got a whole, um, she got a whole leadership gig with them.
1: It's the face of it. That's all it is. I mean, if you all right, I'll give you. Um, I I seen Gottfeld yesterday yeah. and a few days ago, and they had Kathy Lee Gifford on there. And I'm thinking, come on, ladies, just give it up. You've had your day in the sun, and just move on. I can put it to you this way: even Vince knew when his time was up in TV, and he said, "I need to go to radio."
0: <laughs> I don't think that's true at all, but. um the so you're saying that the idea that uh, what you you just get too old and ugly for television and you're gone.
1: I think that um, at the end of the day, you can kind of see uh, the tarnish were off of the shiny new nickel, and there really wasn't that much there underneath. Anyways, I mean I see girls like uh, who, who's young lady McEnany uh, that is just a, a sharp as a pin. And no matter what question you ask her, she can come back and rebut whatever you ask. And then I see um, Saki out there, and she's playing dodgeball. So it's, all I see out there is I think these the integrity in our new social media and how we see the news is a lot more or HDTV. That's what we are. Now our news is HDTV. It is not just straight up. You can have a pretty face in there. You need to have uh, the 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 knowledge and be able to back up your story and defend your and defend what you're saying, and uh, and approach it that way. It's just it's a different time than what it used to be.
0: Right. All right. So I agree with that. I do agree that uh, in the old days, like uh, when Katie Couric was first on the scene, yes, that was the model. It didn't matter. You 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 could be surface level and rise very high right like you could you could be just a face and it didn't i mean it would obviously help your career i think if you were smart and attractive on television um and i think you i think where we are now you are correct it, it is a little bit of a different place but that that doesn't mean that there aren't uh outlets and networks that still are running off of the old model and and it's very obvious when they are Um, there are certain, ah, well, there's no need to name them, but I mean, most of the people at CNN, to me, kind of, uh, uh, prove that point, right? Like they are, uh, they they are not very deep. They're not, uh, they're not particularly ethical, um, and it shows through and then they just pretend like we can't see how, how terrible they are. Um, and and that's the old model at play, but
1: those. I can say, Pete, those avenues will always be there, and that's yeah. the people they want to hear what they want to hear and yeah. not look at the big picture.
0: Yeah, I got you. All right, uh, Tim, I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. Um, let me go over here, to This is uh, an email to Pete at the Pete Callendar Show. Pete, don't forget the 1992 TV show where she rigged negative crash results on a GMC pickup truck. I thought that was, uh, wasn't that Dateline? Was she involved in the Dateline thing? Because I thought she was an NBC person. She was on Today Show. You're telling me she went from the, because that was, I thought, or was that 2020? I forget. Uh, I'll look it up. I'm not sure if that was the same one, but I'll double check that. Um, on the immigration topic, this is from Joseph, who says, Dear Pete, in 2020, a Washington Post poll showed 65% of Americans wanted a moratorium on all immigration. Okay, well, that is not entirely accurate, Joseph. I'll read the rest of his uh, his email in a minute. But that's not entirely accurate. Um, he says, we need at least a generation to assimilate the millions dumped on us after Hart Seller. Okay, um, Lofty aspirations of bringing in the best and brightest are just cover for being the flop house of the world that the left can farm votes from. That's I completely disagree with that. Um, I do not reject or deny the reality that this nation was in fact founded and is based on immigration. It is. Uh, you can deny it, you'd be wrong, but this nation is a, I mean, everybody who came here that set up this system and all the people that followed, they come from all over the world. The thing that unites us is an idea. right? That's the thing about America, this concept. This experiment. And if you don't want to participate in the idea in the experiment, that's fine. Just go someplace else. That's all I ask. Because there, there's this one place right here that we're working on this experiment. We're working on this idea. Um, now, as for this Washington Post poll, that was a 2020 poll. And it was done during the pandemic. People had been laid off. And they asked is it a, uh, if they wanted a temporary halt to immigration. And it was like it was like two thirds of the of the respondents, and it was a very small sample. If I remember, it was like a thousand people, and they were like uh, two thirds of them said, "Yeah, temporary halt. That is not a moratorium on all immigration. It's not permanent. Definitely, it was temporarily halt immigration while the unemployment rate during the pandemic was really really high. Right? That's what that showed. So that's not an argument to shut down all immigration forever, um, and it, it's definitely not an argument that speaks to this a generation that you would shut it down for a generation to assimilate i'm an i am a believer in assimilation see my previous comments about the american experiment right i want people to assimilate into the the societal cultural ideas so yeah that does take time but like here's a good question ask people how many um how many people should we take in a year And when you ask people that question, usually their 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 answer is very, very low versus what we actually do take in legally. I, I, I didn't say I'm for everybody to come and have completely unrestrained open borders. I did not make that argument either, just to be very clear, because I know people like to hear what they like to hear. WBT. I don't uh I I don't see any uh proof that that Katie Couric was uh an employee or uh, that she worked at uh Dateline is true, but that she was on the story or participated in the blowing up of the Chevy trucks or whatever, the GM trucks. So I, I don't I don't know. I'll I'll keep looking, but I don't see proof that she was involved in that and uh Monica sent me a story, too, on that. I have not checked that, but I appreciate it. But Katie Couric is out with a new book called Going There, and she writes that she had to edit out a part of an interview she did with uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg because Ginsburg said those who kneel during the national anthem are showing, quote, contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life. The published story, which Couric wrote for Yahoo News in 2016, did include quotes from Ginsburg, saying refusing to stand for the anthem was dumb and disrespectful, but it omitted more problematic remarks. Couric writes in her memoir that she thought the justice, who was 83 at the time, was quote, elderly and probably didn't fully understand the question. Oh, well, that's kind of terrifying, too, though. (laughs) that would be newsworthy. You you think a sitting justice on the Supreme court might be too old to think clearly about a topic. I don't know. Maybe you should tell people that the anecdote, by the way, this is the, it's one of the things that the, uh, the damage that Katie Couric ended up doing here is kind of ironic. Don't you think it gets like, she's trying to, she tried to protect, uh, Ginsburg. So she cuts out the problematic part. But if she left it in, Ginsburg would have faced blowback. Yes, it would have damaged her reputation, but it might have convinced her to retire. Right? And maybe she could have gotten, because this was 2016. Well, maybe Trump was in office by then. He may have won by then. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't remember when the actual interview took place in 2016. Might have been before the election, but I know there was a lot of. Uh, let me see here. It doesn't say. No, it doesn't say here when the interview was. But there was a lot of effort, a lot of coaxing, right before the election. Let Let Obama replace you. Let Obama replace you. Um, right. Uh, writes in her memoir uh, that she thought uh, Ginsburg uh, didn't fully understand the question that apparently came from. Uh, That suggestion, I think, came from David Brooks, a quote-unquote conservative (laughs) that writes at the New York Times. Um, Dailymail.com previously revealed how the veteran news anchor brutally rips into her former colleagues, ex-boyfriends, and celebrities in the score-settling tome. Couric, 64, writes that she always tried to keep her personal politics out of her reporting throughout her career. (laughs) But she faced a conundrum when Ginsburg made comments about Colin Kaepernick, the former NFL player who became the controversial figurehead behind the National Anthem protest against racial injustice. Couric felt that when Ginsburg said that people like Kaepernick were dumb and disrespectful, they were comments that were, quote, unworthy of a crusader for equality, like Ginsburg was. The day after the sit-down the head of public affairs for the Supreme Court emails Couric to say that the late justice had misspoken and asked that it be removed from the story. Well, now that's interesting. So somebody else went to Couric and said, please remove it from the story. So this was a request. So, so like this, this is an ethical dilemma. What do you do? All right, so she she said these things and she misspoken. Nah, I don't really want that going in on the record, so let's take that out. Do you abide that request? And this is look. There's no right answer here. There isn't, and we can criticize Kirk's, uh, uh decision on this, and I'm, I'm I'm I am obviously doing so. But you're always presented with this uh, dilemma. If you ask the person that you're interviewing, hey. You just said something kind of crazy. Do you want to revise that? Do you, do you still want to stick with that statement? And if they say, yeah, 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 just leave it in, okay, well, no problem. You just leave it in. But if they say, yeah, you know what? No, I don't like that. Go ahead and uh, l- let me say it this way. And they give you a different quote or they, they ask you to omit it altogether. You now have an ethical question to answer. Is the comment worth it? And Katie Couric's decision was no, right? She decided that it was not worth it at the time. It sounds like she has some regrets now. That's a tough call. And you can say, well, you know, you should print uh, anything or run with any audio that they say on the record. Like, you rolled the tape. They knew the the tape was rolling and whatever. That's fine. Like, I get it. I'm not sure I would have made the same call, especially the fact that it came from her... um, that it came from some PR flack and not from Ginsburg. Like, if Ginsburg had called up or had said immediately afterwards, like, oh, you know what? I said something, whatever. I yeah, I don't like the way that sounded. It came out wrong, whatever. Like, I, I generally would give people the ability to, you know, to put some meat on the bones. Like, explain that for us. Kirk um, writes that she was conflicted because she was, quote, a big RBG fan. See, she never let her politics get in the way. So her protecting Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that's not an example of her letting her politics get in the way of anything. It's an example of something else that's not that. I'm not sure what it is, but it was not that. It's something else. All right. Just so we're clear. (laughs) It's Friday, and uh, that means it's time for a recap of Raleigh with our uh, favorite Raleigh resident, that is uh, the Vice Pre- senior vice president the John Locke Foundation. Becky Gray, welcome back. How are you, Becky?
2: Thank you. I'm doing great. Happy Friday.
0: Yes, it's uh, half the battle. So um, I just saw the governor signed a couple of bills into law. Uh, I think we've actually talked about at least one of these in the past, which was the... Uh, regulatory sandbox act which the like ha- the second half of that title sounds pretty exciting the first half not so much so what uh what exactly is this thing
2: yeah this provides a sandbox if you will For some industries, now this is um, really for IT and some financial industries, to play in the sandbox without the burdens of regulation. So it lifts, not all, but some of the regulation that apply to those to allow folks to go in, invest their money, get businesses off the ground without the oppressive regulations being in place. This is a great bill. It's a great idea. Other states have done it. North Carolina now is opening things up for entrepreneurs and for people who want to invest money. Pete, my only complaint with it is it doesn't apply across the board. Um, You know, I think it should apply to the energy industry. I Mm. think there are certainly some medical fields in there that Something like that would certainly apply, um, but it's a great first start, and we were delighted to see that the governor signed that bill today. That will go into effect, and I think you know we're we're going to see just some new innovation and new entrepreneurial activity in North Carolina, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, um, was there any kind of organized opposition to this thing? I wasn't aware of any. <laughs>
2: Yeah, not not one that I was aware of. I mean, there, you know, as always, what you want is a lot of debate and a lot of concerns. You know, a lot of times you put these guardrails in place. And when you're talking about removing regulation, you want to make sure that you're not removing regulation that might have some threat to public health or have adverse un- unintended consequences. So it wasn't as much. I didn't notice a lot of opposition. It was just more. You know, hey, have we thought about this? People in the industry saying these are the regulations that would make the most difference to get out of the way. So it was more just kind of working through what some of the consequences might be and making sure that everything was in place so that it could work as it was intended.
0: yeah uh, another Which one that's always a good thing right, yes, uh, although it is government, so rarely does that occur. so um mm-hmm. the no patient left alone act, this one, um there were some people that did a lot of heavy lifting after loved ones of theirs died during the pandemic, and they were not allowed uh, to be with their loved ones, right, uh, in their final moments. And so now what this, uh, the governor signed this one into law that allows people the ability to to be with their loved ones.
2: Yeah, and this is one of those, you know, we've heard these heartbreaking stories throughout the pandemic of people who are, are literally dying alone and, you know, just the heartbreaking stories from the families and, you know, you can imagine what that must be like for someone that's facing a, a fatal illness and to have that hopelessness and not even be able to have a loved one there with them. So this was one, you know, it, it was one of those that just brought tears to your eyes as it worked its way through the General Only hearing the stories of why this was needed. And again, just very happy that that was signed into law. That bill came over to the governor's office. I want to say it had unanimous support. If not unanimous, it was just about unanimous support. I think everybody agreed on that, and I'm delighted to see that the governor has signed that into place. And you know, hopefully, as this pandemic lifts, we're not going to see all of the restrictions in the hospitals and the hospices and the places where people are very sick. Hopefully, we're going to see some of that lift. But this bill just ensures that, that does exactly what the does exactly what the bill title says. It ensures that no patient is left alone.
0: Should give props to uh, Senator Warren Daniel. I think he was uh, one of the uh, the folks who pushed this one uh, heavily. Um, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of, uh, allies to get it done, but, uh, it, yeah, it's just, it, it's one of those things. Like I understand why they, why they did what they did, but I disagreed with it. especially if people were like, look, I want to go in there and I want to be with, you know, my, you know, hu- husband or wife of 60 years, I don't care what the risk to me is. They should be able to make that decision for themselves, which is why, like I come, you know, I come down on like the right to try at the national level where, People wanted the ability to try experimental treatments. Like, it's your life. You should be able to try uh, these things and to, you know, to make these decisions for yourself.
2: Exactly. And, you know, some of the concerns that we heard as this bill worked its way through was, you know, the spread of COVID or the spread of a disease. And realistically, what you have, all, all these people wanted, they wanted to be able to walk into the hospital directly to the room where their loved one was. Spend some time with them. You know, they, these aren't people that are going to roam around the hospital or, you know, poke their heads in other people's rooms and, and that kind of thing. It was just, it, it, it's one of those that is no brainer, doesn't really even describe it. It's just, you know, th- this is a compassionate thing that we should have been doing all along anyway. Yeah. So, it just puts it into place. We yep.
0: all, yeah, we also saw, I mean, there's nothing on the budget yet. I hear, you know, they're still talking. I had the uh, Speaker of the House uh, earlier in the week say they're still talking, still negotiating. So, nothing really new there, but. Uh, there was a, a big bill signing. Everybody was all smiles and applause over the energy bill. Um, and so I see there are people in North Carolina political circles that are all kind of uh, crossing their fingers like, oh, maybe this is a sign of, you know, a, a deal on the budget that's to come. What do you think?
2: Well, <clears throat> I, I think it was more an illustration of, hey, this can happen where everybody comes on board and, Signs has North Carolina's best interest in place, and can reach a compromise that everyone is, if if not at least happy with, something that everyone can live with. And so, I think, too, Peter, this thing is dragged on. You know, North Carolina's fiscal year ended on June 30th, and here we are, what mid October. So I think as this thing drags on, everybody's looking for any kind of sign that you know there may be hope at the at the end of the tunnel, and that they can come together. And it was rather refreshing to see. Republicans, Democrats, big group with the governor at the mansion signing this energy bill into place. This is one of those bills, too. It wasn't perfect. Um, Energy, Pete, I think we've talked about this Mm -hmm. while the bill was moving through. Energy policy is so complex and so convoluted and it's so highly regulated that, you know, to find a solution, there is not a free market solution that I think you and I would propose because of all of these other factors. But if you can get close to that, if you can can look at, for the energy sources, the least cost, most reliable to drive the standard of what kind of energy you're going to go after, I think, that, I think that's a win. I think it's good for North Carolina. And um so again that was a, a big compromise bill. Um the governor and the general assembly worked closely together to get that done. And so yeah, it was very refreshing to see, see those I was not at the bill signing, but it was certainly refreshing to see those pictures. Of, yeah. You know, they, they can smile at each other, and they can, they can at least get you know gather around the steps in some sort of unity.
0: Yeah, I did not see Mark Robinson in the picture, though. I don't, I'm not sure if he was there or not. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I don't think he was. But you know, in in all fairness, um, you know, this was not an issue that Mark Robinson has engaged in right. in his role of lieutenant governor. You know, he sits on the state board of education. He sits on the board of community colleges. You know, he has other responsibilities. Um, I, I don't I don't know that the lieutenant governor. Weighed in on the energy bill, was involved in any of the negotiations, but you know, he he, he there's no reason for him to. Right. So yeah, so I I didn't read anything. No, yet.
0: I didn't either. I just noticed like everybody was smiling and clapping, but he was not there so I'm not sure if the photo would have been different if he was, so I don't know. Uh, all right, we're going to let you run. That's Becky Gray, Senior Vice President at the John Locke Foundation. You can read uh, her work and her colleagues' work at carolinajournal.com. Thanks, Becky. Have a great weekend.
2: Thanks, Pete. Have a great weekend yourself.
0: News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 1110 one 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, in the next hour, going to go uh, in depth on the uh, the Joe Rogan <laughs> ivermectin story. Oh, it's fantastic! First, let me bounce over here to Ryan. What is up, Ryan? Welcome to the program. How are you? I am. One of you. Thank you
3: so much for taking my call. Hope Certainly. Well. So, uh, about your Katie Kirk story, um, what I wanted to say about that real quick is that if the people who are paying attention, it's kind of as obvious as it is as it is nefarious. The mechanism of oligarchy, the way that it's creeping in, is that once these huge multinational conglomerates, whether it's a, whether it's a, um, a defense corporation or a pharmaceutical company or a cable company, once they've bought a politician, then, then you've got to realize, and everyone who's listening, you've got to realize, when you're watching television, you didn't see pharmaceutical companies on the news or on TV hawking their drugs decades ago. But now they do. Now they pay M- uh, you know, NBC, CBS, and ABC millions of dollars in-, in advertising dollars. So they can call up and be like, listen, if you like those millions of dollars that we pay you for Super Bowl ads and all this other nonsense, you're not going to run that story. So they don't. And it just goes to show how completely, not just disingenuous, how dishonest the media has become. They are bought and paid for. You can buy a journalist or a politician just as easily as you can uh, um, a scientist or a doctor, and 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 this is just a, it's a perfect dovetail lead into your next story about the Joe Rogan story. When Sanjay Gupta sat in front of him, he could not, would not acknowledge how disgusting uh, CNN treated him. And um, one last thing before I let you go, uh, I noticed that your catchphrase is "knowing is half the battle." I think that's hilarious. That's you not my other, catchphrase. You no, know, it's not your catchphrase. I just heard you say it a bunch of times. I no, said, that's G.I. Joe's. I know it's G.I. Joe's. Oh, that's okay. exactly my point. Do you know what the other half is,
0: Pete? The other half of what? Well, you're, you're saying
3: knowing is half the battle. You know what the other half is?
0: G.I. Joe? What? <laughs> violence. The other half is violence. The other it's half is violence? Well, yeah, but G.I. Joe, they, they have guns, Pete. You know? That was not vi- They never shot a single person. <laughs> What are you talking about? What do you mean, what am I talking about? Did you not ever notice that in G.I. Joe, yeah. they were shooting a lot, but nobody ever got hit? Like like a politician, they talk and talk and talk and don't say anything? No, right? like the stormtroopers. They never hit anybody either. No, like uh, this is, I had a friend back in college, he made this argument. It's very persuasive, which is the rebels... They infiltrated the arms factory that made all of the weapons for the Empire, and they turned the sights just a little bit off on every single firearm, which is why stormtroopers trooper, storm could never hit a target, even though...
2: They hit Leia and Return of the
0: Jedi. They're all clones. Like, why did you clone the people with the worst shot, apparently? Like, why wouldn't you, like, clone the best shots, Right. The stormtroopers yep. aren't clones, though. I thought they were all the same. They were all no, clones
3: they're or something. no, they're human. Ah, oh. well, okay. We're, well, then that we're,
0: makes we're, sense. We're getting really deep into
3: nerdy be here, but be, <laughs> before I'd like to go, did you see The Mandalorian? They actually no. Did Filoni and Favreau did a little spot on that where the scout troopers like did some target practice and totally clowned it. It's hilarious.
0: <laughs> but but uh, thanks for taking my call. All right, I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know why the GI Joe P. And by the way, that was not a good guy. Or bad guy dynamic in GI Joe, it was everyone. Nobody ever could hit anybody else. And I remember watching; you would see them, you know, running towards each other. They'd be, you know, or like running up over the horizon. They're all running, and there's like just bullets flying all over, the, or I guess laser beams, you know, flying all over the place, all around them, and nobody ever gets hit. And it never made sense to me. But they would always start off by saying, "Like now I know." Oh, thanks, you know, Snake Eyes. I guess. Well, no, because Snake Eyes wouldn't speak, so it wouldn't be him. But all right. Uh, so, you know, thanks, Scarlet. Was, that was one of the characters. Or uh, Gung Ho, I think, was another one. He was the big guy, the Marine, obviously. And the little kid would thank them for the lesson that they taught them in the PSA during the commercial break. And thanks so much. Now I know, and knowing is half the battle. Oh, and now I get what Ryan was saying, that the other half of the battle. I thought he was saying the other half of the saying, the other half of the slogan. That's what I originally thought when I took his call. Right, no, that's not. Otherwise, I told. okay, so, no, the other half of the battle is violence. And then he would have earned the rim shot. See, that's, that's why I say you want to leave the comedy to the professionals. Do we need to re wreck that call when we need to have Ryan call back in again? And- <laughs> no, probably not. I mean, I cleaned it up as best I could there. It's kind of a mess, but I get the joke now. I understand what he was, what he was, uh, what he was going for. All right. Uh, hey, I'm also old enough to remember when media had such a grand old time mocking Donald Trump for the uh, good people on both sides comment. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. What a grand time. It just proved that he's a racist. Look at him, racist, racist racisty racism that he is. And, um, you know, nobody like they just took the one little clip. Of course, he was talking about the people who had showed up at the other protest in order to keep the statue of Robert E. Lee up. That's what he was talking about, the good people on both sides. And in that whole debate, he was making the argument in those comments. He was making the argument like, where does it end? And do you remember who he cited as a potential future victim of the cancel mob it would have been what T- statues of thomas jefferson yeah and now here we go new york mayor bill the blah blah will remove a statue of thomas jefferson from the city council chambers where it has stood for the past 187 years according to the new york post oh but that racist erases racist trump he didn't know what he was talking about boron huh what did he know up next Joe Rogan I really do hope he sues CNN oh my gosh that would be hilarious stay tuned